In another epistle, Paul says, now we are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Me to we. Now we are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of that. Some of you don't feel that way. You've been coming maybe for years, maybe you've just started. You, I hope, love College Church. Some of you even volunteer, but you do not feel as though you are a part of the body. Last week when I stood here and I thanked this congregation for being the body to our family, I went to my car wondering if there were people in the room for whom we were not. Last Friday, two days ago, I stood in a funeral home in Fairmount with the Colvin family. Mike passed away on Monday. And I talked to his wife, Rachel, and two of the sons, and they were both saying the way that the class and the small group in college church has surrounded us has been just overwhelming. One of the sons said, never seen anything like it, Pastor, never. I am so impressed with the way that church has cared for my mom and dad. And I went to the car proud of the way our church has lived with people like that. But I also had this nagging question, are there people for whom that is not true? I think what people crave is a body more than a church. They come to church hoping to find a body. But a church and a body might be two different things. You attend a church, you belong to a body. You join churches, you participate and live in bodies. Nine times in the book of Ephesians, Paul will use the word church, and nine times in Ephesians, he will use the word body. In Paul's mind, the church and the body are one. But it has got me wondering, <laughs> are there churches that don't function as bodies? And if they were to, what would be involved? So I'm going to draw it out for you in thin air. I was going to bring the board out here, and then I second-guessed it. I may second-guess it again in a few moments. Um, but let me put my back to you and draw on my imaginary board. Help me draw a circle with a 12 o'clock, a 3 o'clock, a 6 o'clock, and a 9 o'clock. When I'm reading Ephesians, I'm having a conversation with Paul about how the church functions when it's a body. And what I noticed, and it took me a while to get this too long, in fact, is 
Paul starts to explain how a church moves from me to we in about four movements. Let me say that in slow motion. The shift from me to we is not simply about an individual joining the community. It is also a shift where the community itself becomes a different kind of community. It's a shift where the church becomes a body. So I'm starting to notice these movements. At 12 o'clock, you'll write the word centering or grounding. At 3 o'clock, you'll write the word opening or including. At 6 o'clock, you'll write the word serving or edifying, building up. And at 9 o'clock, you'll write the word bearing witness. When Paul speaks about centering, he starts in chapter 1 and says, for we are chosen in him to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his children. In him, we are redeemed by his blood. Paul starts by centering this new community on Jesus Christ and on Christ alone. I can't say that enough. It is not Christ and our political ideology. It is not Christ and our sexuality. It is not Christ and our style of worship. It is not Christ and our vision for the church. It is Christ, period. Everything else comes later. If you attach other agendas to Christ, like barnacles to a boat, it starts to tear away at the integrity of that community. It starts with Jesus Christ, says Dietrich Bonhoeffer, anyone who wants something other than what Christ himself has established does not want Christian community. He wants some social experience which he has not found elsewhere. So it starts with centering. There is a reason the church spent three creeds in four councils over the first 500 years trying to figure out who or what is Christ. It starts there. We could have the benediction. We just getting started. Once we have centered ourselves, now we can open the community. The borders. And let people in. If we open the community before we center it, it will turn into a collection of special interests. 
But when we open the community and the outsiders start coming in, they don't live and act like the people that started the community. And so immediately there's friction, conflict, and tension. People in the same church are having at it all the time. And this is a beautiful thing. In fact, the only thing worse than a church where everybody's fighting is a church where nobody's fighting. Because it's groupthink. And everybody got to change before they get in. But as long as Christ is the center and the borders are open... Lots of people come in and there is tension. And this is why in chapter 2, Paul talks about reconciling two different parties into one. Because both of them were in the same body. He himself is our peace. He has made the two one and torn down the wall of hostility between us. Forming in himself one new man, therefore... A new humanity. You got it? My concern with church planning is that it moves too quickly to opening. And it does not have the patience to center. And my fear is not that it will fail. It's that it will succeed and become a nonprofit organization. The, the third at the bottom is where once this body is open and people are coming in and being brought to the center, then the people in that community are starting to serve and build up one another. And this is why in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul will say it was he himself who gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds, and some teachers, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the bond of faith. Do you see what he's saying? Once we come into the body, even though there is conflict and tension happening all the time, we are learning how to serve one another out of the things God has given us. So why is that so important? Well, because when it comes time to bear witness over here, that's what we're bearing witness to. That's what is attractive about Jesus is that he is a social alternative to all of the chaos and the fighting and the polarization and the violence and the division that people see on the streets. They look at this body and they think, man, those people know how to live. I don't know what they believe, but man... They got something right there. Do you see it? And so in chapter 5, Paul will speak then of bearing witness. He said, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Have nothing to do with darkness. Rather, expose it. 
So we shift from centering, which I talked about in the last couple of weeks, to opening, welcoming, including. A couple of years ago, I was uh, uh, on my way to a speaking engagement, and because I had decided last minute, we booked the flights last minute, I got what seats were left. Jackie and I always had this argument. She, caught, she kept saying, you need to fly first class, and I kept, that's a waste of money. I'm Dutch. You, you, you don't waste money on that. Well, you're 6'5", and they put you all the way back in the coach. On this particular day, I did what I always do. I walked onto the plane, and every time I walk by first class, I size those people up. I do. I look at who is sitting in first class, and I'm thinking, they don't look rich to me. That person doesn't look important. That person's 16 years old. His daddy got money or what? While I make my way to the back of the plane. On this particular day, when I looked at my ticket, it was like row 37C. Well, that ain't close. And by the time I got to the back of the plane, I was the next to the last seat in the aisle right across from the bathroom. So every time somebody uses the bathroom, mm, mm, we were sitting on the tarmac. We hadn't left yet. Because I wasn't prepared for the speaking engagement, I had four or five sermons in front of me on the little tray. I had a notepad and I was trying to do cut and paste sermon writing. <laughs> I usually take the greatest hits, both of them in this church, and try to use them somewhere else. And so as I was piecing this thing together with all this stuff on this little tiny tray, I'm working like this. All of a sudden, this woman appears and she just stands and stares at me. And finally, I thought I better, I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you look busy. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you have an appointment when you land? I said, yes, ma'am. And I'm not ready for it. She said, would you come with me? I said, where are you going? She said, there's one seat left in first class. I'd like to take you to it. Collect your stuff. I said, is it free? She laughed and said, of course, it's just there. I thought you'd like to use it. I said, yes, ma'am. I collected my stuff and I turned around and said, and I shot all the way up to the front row and I sat across the aisle from the 16-year-old kid. And I went, I say this because airplanes are a form of barriers. You move into an airplane and you're either sitting first class or coach. 
So you're either first class or second class. And they even pull this curtain, this barrier wall between you. So you can't see what the rich folk are doing. And they don't have to bother with you. And I tell the story because on airplanes, as in life, the people who notice the difference are never those on the inside. It's always those on the outside, those who are flying coach, seated across from the bathroom. And I tell the story because the purpose of Paul and Christ in the church is to take people who are flying coach and sitting across from the bathroom to get their stuff and move to the front first class for free. And they can't believe it. You can't believe it. If I described you a moment ago and I said, some of you don't feel like you belong, these just seem like words to you, but listen to what Paul is saying. Now stop looking at me and look at your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, why not? Look at your neighbor's Bible. Open your Bible and look at chapter one and you will hear language of us, we, and language of you. And so in chapter one, verse four and five, Paul says, for he has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us. Now, I know you're thinking, well, no, 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 no. He's talking to both classes. Yeah, but if you're seated across from the bathroom in the back, you don't hear that. What you hear is Paul on the other side of the curtain talking to fellow Jews about how God chose us. And you're wondering if he's ever going to come back and get you. And then in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, and you also. Oh, there it is. You also in the back. It's like he moves the curtain and says, you in the back were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. And you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You hear the language? What God has done for us, he's done for you. We we read this passage and we think of outsiders as if they were uh, uh, sinners, people that are lost, because it plays well with a message for evangelism. But this is not who Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about people who are in Christ, people who were marked with a seal, the Holy Spirit, people who believed through faith in Christ. Verse 15, he's talking about people who know the hope to which they were called. Verse 18, people in whom the power of God is already active. Verse 19, he's not talking about people that are lost. He's talking about Christians that are stuck in the back of the plane. And that is exactly how some of you feel. 
how did I become a Christian and I still don't fit with all those Christians? Chapter 2. Watch Paul's argument. He's going to use us, the us, you language again. He starts out by saying, as for you, <laughs> as for you, y'all were dead in your trespasses and sins when you followed the ways of this world. Then, in verse 3, he uses the we, and he says, we also were dead. Not by following the world, we were dead by our cravings and desires and our thoughts. And he has just now put his finger on the nerve of most religious people. The sins that we commit are internal. What the Gentiles do with their bodies, we do in our minds. And we've convinced ourselves that because we don't act on it, it's okay. And Paul says, those who are sitting in the coach and those who are sitting in first class are both dead. One because of their acts and another because of their desires. Are you hearing his argument? Paul is taking humanity which likes to divide itself according to ethnicity and culture, insiders and outsiders, and he is putting both insiders and outsiders under the bus. We were dead because of our actions, and you were dead because of your desires. Can I talk to both of you for a moment? Do you remember how many of you did not grow up in the church? May I see your hands? Do you remember the first time it occurred to you that, that God loved you? You'd heard it your whole life, maybe, maybe not. You weren't even interested in him. But one day, it occurred to you that he is interested in you. Do you remember that? It was too good to be true. How many of you grew up religious as I did? Oh, that's most of us. Do you remember the first time it occurred to you that God himself was going to do for you what you were trying to do your whole life? Do you remember that? You were coming to church and you were dressing right and you were acting right, but you could not control your desires. 
could you? And then one day you hit it. And the word said, I will sanctify you. And it occurred to you, I do not have to do this. God is going to do it. So in verse 4, Paul says, some of you were dead because of your actions and some of you were dead because of your desires. Now look at verse 4. But God. There it is. But God. He is rich in mercy and full of love. And watch what he did. He made us First class, second class. He made us alive and he raised us up and he seated us in the heavenlies. Some of you look like you're going to yawn right now. Let me try to make this practical for you. What happened in conversion was a miracle. The equivalent of God turning water into wine. When he saved you, he changed the fundamental nature of you. The spiritual structure is changed. It's like a 90-year-old giving birth to a baby. It's unthinkable. But then there is God who calls things that are not as though they are, and they come to be. It's like speaking to a corpse, come forth, and in a moment, he starts to walk out. Nobody can do this but God. Why do we always reduce this to a prayer or to a sacrament or to a confession of faith? Look, we may do these things, and be changed. But we are never changed because we do these things. No, no. We are changed because God performs a miracle that only God can do. Wow. What am I saying? The way into this new community is grace. Is grace. In Jesus Christ, all previous categories are mute. Jews, Gentiles, black, White, male, female, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, simple. What's the word I'm looking for? Complex. All of those categories exist but they're muted in Christ. If you're in the body of Christ this morning, y'all came in through the same way. It wasn't a membership vow. It wasn't a sinner's prayer. 
It wasn't first communion. It wasn't a profession of faith. It was a miracle of God where he spoke into existence something that didn't exist before. He called you from death to life. Thanks be to God. What if we lived like this? Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it? The people in college church would not be known for what they were, but for what they are in Christ. So all of the baggage that we carry with us, even if we still have it, would not control us and it wouldn't define us. And if we were a community of grace, the people that were coming into our body would be genuinely changed so they were like Christ. Because we're not just made alive and raised and seated. We're made alive, raised, and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And so our lives would begin to be transformed. We would not just be a community of acceptance, neither do I condemn thee. We would be a community of change. Go and sin no more. Because grace is not just acceptance. It's power. We not only confess our sins, we get over them by grace. Come on. Oh man, if we were a community of grace, people would come into this community with all of their distinctives, all of their cultures and their differences. The churched and the unchurched the black and the white and the rich and the poor and all of these socially constructed categories that humans make and Christ abolished. We would bring them with us. Not as a melting pot where you lose your identity and not as a salad bowl where we just slam different cultures together. More like an ensemble. Where each culture sings its part. And when they do, what rises is this fuller, richer, deeper, and more beautiful church. If you feel outside, the things that you think exclude you, keep them. Don't leave them. Keep them. Bring them with you. Let the body Use it to create something bigger and higher. And what isn't of God will come off in the wash. <laughs>